Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are talking quarterbacks today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 134. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky about what goes into playing the most important position in professional sports. Next up on Scouting Report, I'll go through one of the players that I really, really love in this draft. That's South Dakota State tight end Dallas Goddard. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. Dan Orlovsky and I talk about some of the finer points of the quarterback position. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, if you're a longtime listener, you know I love getting a chance to talk to former players and coaches, and the very first one this offseason is Dan Orlovsky, who you can follow on Twitter, at DanOrlovsky7. Dan was a fifth-round pick of the Lions back in 05, went on to play 13 years in the league for five different teams. He now does awesome breakdowns on Twitter. You can go and check that out. Strongly suggest you go follow him. Dan, appreciate the time here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Welcome into the Novacare Complex. Good to be here, man. Um, so let me ask you this. You retired officially this past October. Uh, we're now about six months in. What's it like? Has it been about what you expected? What has the transition been like for you? Well, I didn't have an expectation level yeah. because I just it was something so new. Uh, you know, my first two weeks were really, really weird, very difficult. No matter how many things you hear or how much people prepare for you for mm-hmm. that transition, you're you're not ready for it. You know, like I tell jokes that I would be home writing down, hey, brush your teeth, you know, just on Post-it notes just because – Football had set the rhythm to my life, and we were, you know, as players, we become such creatures of habit that I didn't have anything to have a habit over, you know. So I just had time, and so it was difficult to, for me to figure out what was next. And, you know, after two weeks of settling in and having some family time, and then kind of being encouraged to have the process of challenging yourself or reinventing yourself to do something new, I've kind of dove into that and enjoyed it. But I, I love, I love being retired. Yeah. How, how has that changed your? I guess your process in terms of watching film and watching games and kind of taking in the game from an NFL standpoint and college standpoint. Yeah, so when I was a player, I rarely watched games. I mean, maybe a really cool Monday night matchup or if we were playing a team and it was a sunny nighter and I was home, I'd watch some stuff, but rarely would I watch games just because I'd be doing it during the week so much. Now I can't wait for Sundays to come around. It's crazy. I get I, I tell people, especially living in, in Philly this this past couple of years and obviously the season that the Eagles had, you know, just being around and, and I can't wait for to grab a Jersey Mike sub and sit on the couch and, and watch Sunday football. So I've enjoyed that. Now it's not all that different during the week for me. I just watch a ton of film, you know, yeah. on my computer or whatnot. It's kind of what I've done my career. So it, there's a lot of similarities, but I've definitely become a big time fan. So you and I are going to be referencing uh, some discussions we've had off mic. We, we, you and I just got done watching a couple college quarterbacks this is your first offseason kind of going through and kind of studying it from that standpoint. What has that been like for you so far? Yeah, it's been fun. I think I always paid attention to it as a player. I always would watch. You know, they, those everybody's obviously going to play the quarterback position that's coming out, so you're paying attention to, who, you know, what are these kids? Who are they talking about in the first round? Do I think he stinks? Do I think he's any good type thing? So I think I've always paid attention to it, but like you said, this is the first year I've really dove in and watched tape on them and figured out what they do well, what they don't do well 
do they fit schemes, all that stuff. So it's been really fun. What you realize is, you know, this comes off in a braggadocious way, but you realize how good your eyes are. You realize how much you've learned and, and the little things that stand out to you that become big things, you realize that you kind of have in your pocket. So it's been a fun kind of process to go through and, and watch and see, okay, thumbs up or thumbs down on a lot of different guys. So we're going to talk about the position and just offense in general from like a big picture standpoint. But before we do that, real quick, for the guys that you have watched, quick like elevator speeches on each guy, do you feel in terms of Darnold and Rosen and Allen, the guys that you've studied? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the guy that comes to mind as my favorite would be Sam Darnold out of USC. My reasoning is he's got traits that you can't coach. You know, he's got, I've called it magical sloppiness, where everything he does is just a little bit sloppy. The bad stuff is because it's sloppy, but man, he's got some magic in his game. And I don't think that's something you can coach. I think he also has this great ability to judge the angles and speeds at which his guys are going to run routes. Again, not something that you can coach. And then he can be really accurate with bad feet. Not that you want to promote that, but it's a really unique trait. So that for those variables, I love them. Rosen is, like everyone says, polished and polished and polished. But for me, Rosen displays the best process when he breaks the huddle or gets the line of scrimmage of being able to understand what his problem is offensively and defensively and opportunities. And, you know, he's always in control. He's very much in rhythm, and he plays that way. So he does all the little things that create big things. You know, Josh Allen is a guy that I'm starting to watch a little bit more now. Yeah, obviously, huge arm, big athletic kid. I've got to see more on him to to prove to me that you know he's in that running for an early pick. You know, I think he's got redeemable traits, but I don't know if it's worth investing super early in. Baker Mayfield, somebody I'm excited to watch. I, the, what I do know of him, pinpoint deep ball accuracy, which is a big deal because you only get so many opportunities in the NFL. So there's a couple other guys I'll pay attention to, but I've honed in on on that group of four or five. So a couple things on the, what you just said from the, some of those guys. I like what you said about Darnold in terms of uh, you know his feet and how he's able to be accurate when things aren't perfect and because things aren't perfect all the time uh, in the NFL. How do you, when you're watching guys, and this goes for NFL and college, kind of like juggle that, like toe that line between guys that are able to do it, but then you don't want them to maybe like yeah. make a living doing that as well. Sure. I think the big thing is, so to be able to do it, you cannot coach that. There's not drills where you can get a guy, nor would you want to because that promotes poor <laughs> habits. You know, it right. promotes bad habits. You don't want to coach that. Having the ability to do that is so special because I can take a guy who can do that and through coaching and through drill work, refine him and get him better and to be more in control of his feet. But I can't get him to be more accurate with bad feet. So that's how do you toe the line? You know, like if, if, if Darnold was all out of whack with his feet and inaccurate, then we've got a problem because those things are tied together, but it's so much more accuracy. Yes. is tied to your feet. Absolutely. But when you have really good upper body mechanics and kind of a snap release or whip release like he does, you can still be accurate. And so, you know, you like like you said, you don't want a guy to, you know, go be doing it. But with good coaching, you can get a guy to have more refined feet, more efficient feet. If you can display the ability to be accurate without good feet, I certainly know you could be accurate with good feet. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I go back to like watching Johnny Manziel and obviously his game was so based on chaos and, and trying to create plays from outside of structure and then we saw Carson come out a couple years later and everyone talked about oh, his ability to create his ability to create but Carson's game wasn't about creating outside of structure he was able to do it and he's yeah. able to do it obviously at the NFL level but it's not like his game is based on that I think that goes back to what you're saying exactly yeah I think like I, I say it like this Sam Darnold is is a very good 
quarterback in the pocket, mm. what takes him to the next level is that creativity. Carson's the same way. I think Baker Mayfield's going to be the same way. Their ability to throw the ball in the pocket is their strength. Then their creativity is the cherry on top. I'll use as an example of Lamar Jackson. I think his creativity is his foundation, and then his ability to throw in the pocket, which might make him a next player. But the creativity thing is not sustainable. Mm. You can't play in the NFL for a long time basing all your performance or all your success on that creativity because you just don't last. Yeah. It's, the, it's the added ability or it's the added talent that you have to make you a special player, but it's not the foundation of who you are. So that we, we haven't seen Josh Rosen do as much of that. Does that affect your, your evaluation of him or where you kind of see him translating best? I don't think so. You know, there's different ways to skin a cat, and all yeah. players are different. You want guys to hone in on who they are. You know, Tom Brady's not that way either. Peyton Manning's not that way either. Drew Brees isn't really that way either. So, you know, Rosen is so efficient with his movement and so refined I'm not going to hold that against him. I'm not. Because just in the same regards that Darnold has that magic with his feet to get away with stuff and make plays, Rosen never really gets to that point because he, he's more refined in the pocket. He's more efficient in the pocket. And so would you love him to have it? Probably, because then he would be no-brainer. Right. You know, He'd be an Andrew Luck type guy. But I still think that when you talk about guys who throw the ball accurately, consistently in the NFL, not for five games, but over years and years and years, they play with tremendous rhythm. Rosen plays with tremendous rhythm, and I think that's going to afford him, you know, his ability to do that and then his brain, when you take him, you're so far ahead of the curve at the quarterback position because he already does that stuff that I think that that is such a benefit to taking a guy like him. So this is a loaded question, so I'll split it up into kind of two parts. Are there deal breakers for you when you're watching guys? And obviously, look, you've been around the league for so long and you've seen so many young quarterbacks come into the league. When you're out there with a guy for the first time or you're watching film for a guy with, uh, of a guy for the first time, is there something, a physical skill that maybe is a deal breaker? If this guy doesn't have this physical skill that you know I'm really struggling seeing how he's going to be able to compete at a high or even like a solid level in the NFL? Yeah, I would say there's – a couple things. One, you've got to be a pretty natural thrower of the football. I'm not saying every release looks the same, but it shouldn't look hard for you to do. It shouldn't look like it, it, you have to work at it or it's strenuous or you're trying to be perfect. It should be pretty natural. That's a big deal to me because if I've got to coach you how to throw the ball, we're, 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 we're in a bad starting right. point. Yep. The second thing is just accurate. I don't need right now. I don't need. Would it be awesome if you were pinpoint and yeah, absolutely. But I need you to be accurate, consistently accurate with the football. You're not going to be perfect, but consistently accurate. I've got to be able to see that your eyes can trigger that message in your brain to throw your to get your arm to throw, and it's an accurate throw more often than not. So there's got to be a consistent level of accuracy. I don't want you to be wow Superman throws. I need you to be Clark Kent. Sure. And then my third like thing, my third thing would be. The reality is in the NFL, unless you play on one or two teams that have dominant offensive lines, you've got to be able to throw getting hit. You've mm. got to be able to throw with, with some pressure in your face, either the ability to be in position and take that hit or, like a Sam Darnold, get yourself in a little bit of a squirmy situation and still be accurate. Yeah, or a Rosen where you're looking down the gun barrel and you're able to deliver. We saw, and we saw a and it shows up on tape all yep. the time with that kid. And that is not – I mean, coaches will try and take drills, but until you get – you know, 300 pounds underneath your chin, that's not something that you can totally simulate. All right, so same question, but from a 
mental uh, personality, emotional standpoint? Are there certain deal breakers for you where you either have this or you don't, and it's going to affect whether or not you can succeed? No doubt. And I think this is, I think this is the more pertinent question rather yeah. than the physical stuff. You know, I, I was lucky. Young, I had a coach tell me playing quarterback – at, in the college and obviously in the NFL level is like being the president. It's 24-7, 365, and every single thing you do needs to fall under that umbrella, every decision that you make. So that's a big deal to me is, you know, understanding that. Also, these guys are going to go from sleeping on futons to, you know, playing FIFA or whatever <laughs> and with their peers, right. and now you have to go be the billion-dollar face of a billion-dollar company. So right. can you handle being the CEO of a billion-dollar company? That's a part of it. Football-wise, you know, I, I use the term, and everyone does, processes information. Mm. My big thing is no one knows what that means. You know, because one, how do you know the information? We don't know the information that you think he is or is not processing right. information. Processing information at the quarterback position, when it comes down to just the X's and O's of football, is you get your play. You have to understand the, the, the problem of your play and the opportunity that your play presents. Then you have to understand the problem that the defense presents to you and also the opportunity that the defense presents to you. And you have to be able to do it like this, that quickly. And so can you – do you have a process that sets up your ability to – process you know and so when you break the huddle do you understand okay my guys are lining up here this is the play so this is the picture in my mind check my play clock okay where's my safeties what's their defensive front what's the tell for coverage who's the who's the blitzer tell okay then oh I've got a problem with my protection here does the defensive problem that's presenting to me you know show me that I'm going to have a problem okay the defense is presenting to me this okay now I have an opportunity You've got to have all those thoughts, not four times a game. Yeah. It's got to be 65 of 65. That's how you play quarterback at the NFL at a high level. And I guess that's – I mean, you could see those plays regardless of what kind of system a guy plays from, you know, comes from at the college level. But I guess it's easier to see it – and tell me if I'm wrong. It's easier to see it in guys that maybe come from like a pro-style system because uh, they're going to be challenged in different ways. Or do you think you can kind of see that – regardless across the board I think you can see it regardless of across the board now some the downside is when guys come from a big time spread out offense they're so unique those offenses and you don't know necessarily sometimes they go against the rules of football Mm. so you might be thinking something and you could be wrong whereas the pro style you have a pretty basic understanding a good understanding of route concepts protection concepts uh, you know what these guys are getting taught because there's more examples of it but at the same time if I'm watching a guy play quarterback and he goes up to the line of scrimmage and sends his protection one way or the other way and he gets spooked or surprised by an unblocked defensive end you're telling me you have no idea what's going on or that you have no plan I don't care that you sent the offensive line one way or right or wrong way but you have to have a plan in the NFL we always talked about it when you would handle exotic blitz teams and you would try to be perfect the biggest thing was to try not to be perfect as long as your five offensive linemen and your back and quarterback understood and we're all on the same page you've got a chance it's the same thing with watching a quarterback does he understand what the what's the plan is he on the same page as everybody else and so for me like you can still watch film and guys will show you I understand or I don't understand what's going on and I think that's one of the things that I loved so much about Carson uh, you know, when he was at North Dakota State and then obviously here with the Eagles is that you saw that wherewithal, that ability to, pro- you know, to, use your, to be able to process quickly 
you saw it so consistently. And it's week in, week out, play in, play out. Uh, the guy's got the ability to be able to read what's going on pre-snap, react to it pre-snap, or right when the ball snapped, you know he's got a plan. And that's something that uh, I think is invaluable, not just at that position, across the board in the game. Football. Yeah, and we talked about it you know, before, the consistency of it. I yeah. say it like this. If you, think, if you really think about watching great, really good to great quarterback play in the NFL, if we're being honest – a lot of it is boring. I don't need to watch Tom Brady's game, but I know his box score because he plays right. this boring game. It's the, this consistently boring. I'm not saying that it's we don't marvel at its greatness, and I'm not saying that like Carson had so many plays last year, but that's not what that's not the consistent. He's not doing 45 plays a game like that. Right. That's yep. that one or two, but the consistency of that, and so that's you know like. That's the big thing that separates guys is is that ability to consistently do that. But you can't do that unless you have a plan of how to do it, you know? And so that's the biggest thing for me with that position is these these guys have to have plans of how to handle all that information. It's information, it's information, it's information. So, you know, I think that's a, a big issue coming out. So we've talked about a lot of the physical stuff, the mental stuff. Of all of it, you've been around a lot of rookie quarterbacks and every one of them is different, obviously, and not all of the guys are the same. But what has been the consistently most difficult thing for those guys to kind of overcome? Uh, it's different from case to case, but uh, when you look at it across the board, has there been one thing where you know, like, all right, I know, like, this guy comes into camp, like, we have to worry about X, Y, Z? Honestly, the biggest thing is, I think it's two things, actually. Failure and the the challenge to stack days on days, you know? Especially at the quarterback position in the NFL, you're going to fail. It's in, it's it is inevitable. You are going to have tough times. Now, especially if you're an early pick, you may not have experienced that much. You've been the, the you know like I'll use Josh Rosen at Josh Rosen as an example. He was the big time teenager in all kinds of sports. Not that he hasn't experienced failure, but he hasn't experienced failure at an NFL level. Mm. And you, he was the big-time recruit at UCLA, and he was the hot shot on campus. Again, I'm not using that as a negative, but he's now going to go from kind of being the king of the castle in so many different ways, and the worst thing that was going to happen to him is the 21 or 22-year-old was going to think he stunk. Well, now he's going to come into the <laughs> NFL when you walk into a locker room with those 30-year-old men who are fighting for their family's livelihood – and if you throw two picks to lose a Sunday night game, how do you handle that? How do you handle that failure? Can you go into the locker room? What happens if you go on a three-game losing streak, which is going to happen in the NFL? Yep. Can you? So that maturity, that mental toughness is probably the biggest thing. And then the stacking the days, you know, like just because you have a good day, it doesn't matter. Every, we, we see it all the time. The NFL really is a week-to-week league in so many different ways. And so – we saw last year with Nick Foles. You know, one week everyone loved him, and the next week he's gonna. <laughs> we, we got no shot, and right. you know, and so it's stacking those days and having. You've got to brainwash yourself. You truly have to brainwash yourself, and I think those rookies have to go through that process of brainwashing themselves to just go day to day because it's not easy, you know. And through the failures and successes, mainly the failures, especially early on, you've got to brainwash yourself to just go. So you don't see any of that on a scouting report. Like, I, I guarantee you, like, there's hundreds of scouting reports out right now, like, both internally in the NFL and then externally in the media. No one writes that as a positive or negative for any of these guys. And I feel like that's one of the – to me – and I think I, like, started to realize it over the last, like, couple of years. It's one of the most undertold parts of this whole draft and really the and free agency process, but the whole – of the whole draft process is – 
these interviews with teams and like they meet with them at the combine at the senior bowl yeah sure but then it's the private visits it's the going meet them on campus it's you know going and getting dinner with them where they try to get to know the person and like the people factor the human factor of the yeah. whole thing is just so important that no one no one really pays attention to that part and how important it is and i think it's really hard nowadays because the 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 agents do such a good job i mean there's dress rehearsals for pro days now and mm-hmm. so like these kids are coming out and everything's very scripted for them in a way because yeah agents are going to say be yourself but hey if they ask you questions like this answer it this way and if i mean we started doing it when i was coming i was going to say did you, you have you, did yeah, you have there that, was, yeah. i remember you know having almost like an, a a class we had someone come in and prepare us for all that stuff and i remember thinking to myself I'm not even being myself, mm. and I it it was a detriment to me because I didn't go do well at the combine performance or you know interview wise because mm. I was trying to say the right thing and whatnot. And as much as a kid is going to say, I'm just going to go be myself, it, you're not you're so prepared that you're unprepared, mm. you know. And so I think it's really hard for teams. That's why I think you see so much failure, especially at that position. You can go get away with some of those off the field things at other positions. You know, like, if you have a bad game at corner, not everyone's looking at you on Monday. Right. If you throw three picks on Sunday night, everybody is looking at you. And so it's just – it's a really, really unique thing. That's why, you know, like, when I played in Detroit and I was back up to Matthew Stafford, I say his greatest strength is how he handles all the bad mm. that comes his way. And I think Carson displays that a little bit too. You yeah. know, I think it's such an undervalued trait – I don't care if you're 6'5", I don't care if you're 230, and I don't care if you can throw the ball to the moon. Mm. The football field's 100 yards, and failure's going to happen. So how do you handle the failure of that position and the pressure of it? So you brought up two things. You brought up uh, failure just now and then earlier, and then you brought up Nick Foles. And I thought immediately about Nick Foles' postgame at the Super Bowl, and he talked that that was a big part of his speech. you know. And the role of a backup quarterback – like I think it was just the the story of Nick Foles obviously is going to go down and he's never going to have to buy himself a drink no in doubt. the city ever again. Um, but talk about the role of a backup quarterback and just the the transition that he had to make so quickly on the fly for, during that LA week. Uh, you know, from being that backup to now being the guy. What what is the role of a back? Because it's not like a backup corner. Like it's not the same deal. Like what yeah. what is the role? What is the skill set a guy needs to have to be a backup quarterback? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. You know, I think that was one of the standout things for the Eagles team this year is having a guy like Doug Peterson and Frank Reich lead them offensively. Those guys were backups. So when you're a backup, you know, okay, so when you're a starter, you go through your week and you prepare and you study and you prepare. But you're doing a lot of other things too, like you're preparing, then you're practicing, then you're studying your tape, and then you're taking care of your body. And then Sunday comes and you just go. You go play. Whereas the backup, you're doing – Everything on top of everything. You're, <laughs> you're studying film. You're preparing. You're helping the backup running back after practice. You're helping your third string tight end study your game plan. So you've got to figure out ways to communicate to the backup running back and the third string tight end the same thing, just different ways. Because one might be smart and one might be stupid. Yeah. And so you've got to figure out ways to handle that. You're also, during the game, when you're the starter, it's about one thing. Trying to win. So mm-hmm. you're... Pre- 
you're not thinking your way through it that much. You're trying to win. Whereas during the game as the backup, all you're doing is watching. And so you're picking up all those little things. And, okay, what would I have done there? What I've done it differently? And then you're communicating it to your starter. And you pick and choose your battles, obviously. You know, right. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, so the game is such a mental thing for you. I think it's such a benefit. And I think Nick Foles benefited from it this year of having to sit and learn differently. You have to go learn differently because – when you're the starter, you're learning to go play. When you're the backup, you're learning to communicate and mm. learning to communicate. And I think that was a, a thing for him. Now, you give him credit because, you know, being a backup, there's not a lot of guys who can do it for a long time because you've got to be willing to do all that stuff and get no release. Mm. You don't get to go play on game days. Right. Yep. And then when you do, you better be ready. And so, you know, I had a young coach, my rookie or my second year in the NFL, he used the phrase, you've got to be patiently impatient. But can you brainwash yourself to do that? Again, mm. it goes back to you've got to control your mind or kind of shape your mind to can you do that every single week? Because yeah. it's hard. Because by when 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 did Carson get hurt? Week ten, week something, eleven, yeah, whatever something it was, later. Right? Yep, it sure. would have been really easy for the Eagles are rolling. Carson's in the MVP talk. Very easy for Nick Foles to kind of lay back. Eh, sure. I'm not going to play this year. Yeah, you know I don't really. But you can tell he was studying. You can tell he was practicing the right way. And so that is such a credit to him, and it's a credit to the staff the way they went about preparing him and whatnot. But you know I think that the benefit of him having to do things differently as a backup, you know, was huge for him. So we could probably do a whole podcast, and maybe we will in the future, on just like the the pure like X and O pass game, like offensive philosophy. And so we can't squeeze it all in here because we're going to wrap up. But let me ask you this. And this is like a huge umbrella question. You can take this as broad or as specific as you want. As a player, your favorite, we'll say, pass game concept. Like if it's, it's third down in the Super Bowl, you have one play call from the 20-yard line. Like what is it in your mind that's like the perfect play call for you, regardless of what all things being equal on the defensive side? Me personally? Yeah, you personally. I would probably want something. So we called it Florida. It's it's a lot like a chip play. <laughs> so it would be two by two. My receiver in the boundary would run either a go route or a big post. I don't really care. I'd probably be put him on a go route because I like throwing the opportunity to throw hole shots. I'd put number two. So a hole shot, you mean like in terms of like the back corner of the end zone? Kind yeah, of back yep. corner of the end zone. Yep. I'd put number two kind of in like a quick, sh- quick flat right now. He would go right to okay. the front pylon yep. because – I can kind of manipulate a corner if I want. I would send a crosser kind of in the back, you know, behind the second level defenders. Crossing a back, you know, if we're down in the end zone area, red zone area, leave me two yards, and I would bring someone on the back end line from all the way across the field and then send my back. I'd put my back into the boundary and then cross them across the ball and burst them to the field. So. Just as many throws as I can get into the end zone, that would, but that would be my call on third down in the middle of the field too. It's it, you, the only coverage that it, you don't feel great about it with is two man, but then you hope that your slot can get do something wiggly at the top. Interesting. Well, Dan, appreciate the time. We're like I said, I'd like to get you back and we'll do more for sure from an X and O standpoint. But appreciate the time here as always on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. No, thank you for having me, dude. Great stuff from Danny. You can follow him just like I do on Twitter at Dan Orlovsky7. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to two people, both QB Coach Blair and Big Papa 25 who both went 
onto our Apple Podcast page and left reviews and comments saying how much they love the show and look forward to it each week. Papa's even a Falcons fan, and he's sticking around to listen to the show on a weekly basis, which I love. So thanks to Blair and Big Papa and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Before we move on, I wanted to talk about the addition of Mike Wallace to this Eagles offense, which I'm really excited about. I mean, you're talking about a player who has outstanding explosive speed. He's got the ability to be a vertical threat in this Eagles offense, much like what they lost in Torrey Smith. I think Mike Wallace can serve that same role very quick and sudden in and out of his routes. He can be that vertical threat. Uh, I'm excited to see you know for this move and see how he's going to fit in uh, with this receiving core with Alshon Jeffrey and Mac Hollins. You see some of these other young players on the Eagles depth chart starting to make that move up. This is a good opportunity for players like a Shelton Gibson and some of those other young guys. It's going to be exciting to see how Wallace fits in with this group. So let's keep this show going. I told you we would break down South Dakota State tight end Dallas Goddard. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Dallas Goddard, 6045, so 6'4 half, 256 pounds. He was twice an FCS All-American player, two-time Walter Payton Award finalist. It's basically the, the Heisman Trophy at the FCS level. Set a school record in 2016, 92 catches as a junior for them. Former walk-on who played at the lowest class of high school football in South Dakota. So you might want to guess, all right, well, how, how did this kid go unrecruited and how did he end up at South Dakota State? That's why. He was very much under the radar in an area of the country that's not really recruited for football talent. Dallas Goddard, though, has a lot of physical tools I really like. Let's get into the report. Three-year starter uh, out of the, in that shotgun spread offense out there. Uh, lined up in line. He lined up in the slot, at times out wide, or even in the backfield. I remember watching him as a junior. He was taking handoffs in the shotgun and the run game. Uh, they wanted to get the ball in his hands off, and he's got above-average height and weight with long arms. He's got good enough size to line up right now in the league, which I like. It's not like he's got to put on a whole bunch of weight to be able to fit in the NFL. He's an above-average athlete. He's got, the, he's got the quickness to get in and out of breaks and separate against NFL defenders. He's got more than enough speed to get down the seam and make plays vertically very quick out of his stance, and he's very efficient with his releases no matter where he lines up. Does a good job wiping a defender's hands away early in the down to stay on track. He doesn't get held up against press coverage. He's one of the best route runners in this class at the tight end spot. I really watched him improve during his junior year, and I thought for the most part that it carried over to 2017. I think he's got a little bit of cleaning up to do still, but over the for the most part, I think he's a pretty good route runner. He understands how to attack leverage, and he most of the time Looks like a pro at the top of his stem. Does a nice job of getting defenders' hips flipped on posts and corner outs. He sells double moves very well. Uh, he's got a knack for working himself open. Does a nice job in the scramble drill as well. Uh, he's got great hands, and that's really the, the thing that stands out most to me about Dallas Goddard. He's got outstanding hands. He's a really easy catcher of the football. Looks very confident and comfortable at the catch point. Had just one uncontested drop in two years as the team's top target. Very rarely did he let the ball hit the ground. And so uh, you see a guy who was the number one receiver, for more or less, for that offense to have just one drop all year right, for t- over two years where he wasn't, you know, he wasn't hit. He wasn't, it wasn't nothing. It was a, a straight focus drop uh, in two years. It was really, really impressive. Uh, can contort his body to adjust to the football. Made some outstanding one-handed grabs as a junior. He tracks the ball really well over his shoulder at an extremely high level. Competitive with the ball in his hands. They tried to get it to him quickly. He's not dynamic after the catch, but he does fight for extra yardage. And I mentioned his ability to block. 
You know, he's got experience blocking at the point of attack with his hand in the dirt. And while he's not particularly effective at it, he gives decent effort. He give, he uses proper technique, good pad level hand placement. He's at his best on pin blocks where he can kind of work outside in and try and pin a guy towards the middle of the field. The Eagles do a lot of that in the run game. He does a nice job there, does a decent job in pass pro as well. When he's asked to get to the second level against a linebacker or a DB, he can do that. So solid blocker, still needs to get better, but solid. From a negative standpoint, I mentioned there are still some times where he'll round out the top of his routes. He still has some things to clean up there, but he's definitely going in the right direction. He'll go up with one hand at times when it's not, you know, doesn't necessarily need to, and most of the time when the ball hit the ground, that was one of the, the main culprits. Doesn't play as strong as his size would indicate. I mentioned that with his blocking. He needs to get a little bit more consistent there. But right out of the gate, I think this kid's a viable pass catcher with the ability to be an adequate three-down player. Now, once he develops as a blocker, he should be a very reliable starter who can be productive as a receiver. I think he's got a high ceiling as a quality starter in the NFL. Reminds me a lot of Kyle Rudolph coming out of Notre Dame. So I really like Dallas Goddard. Really excited to see where he ends up in this NFL draft. So great stuff from Dan Orlovsky and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, one last time, please take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the Novacare Complex. I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.